if you're going to come in here and ask what you need to do, then I've hired the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You know, make yourself invaluable, be a sponge, and make our program better. That's what you need to do. And whatever that means, do it. And uh, ask for help when you need help, but find something to do to make us better. That was Darren Boatwright, the current athletic director at Wichita State. Welcome, Darren Boatwright, to the Dax My Hand Legend podcast, part two. Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise. And find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. Really, you do have a lot of useless knowledge up there in the head of yours. Darren, so you left Alabama and talk to us. Where'd you go next? Actually, I went across the street. Uh, I left coaching in Alabama and had an opportunity to go into athletic development fundraising uh, for the university, for, for Crimson Tide Athletics. And, uh, and that was at the time where Murray State made a change in their athletic director. And uh, Alan Ward was hired to come in from North Texas. And I got a call from Alan, and uh, he said, Hey, I don't know you. I heard some good things about you, and I understand you want to get into administration. I said, Yeah, I think I do. And, and uh, he said, Well, come up here and let's talk. Let's talk to me. I'm not offering you anything, but uh, come up here and talk to me, and, and uh, I'll tell you what plans we have here, and you can tell me what your goals are, and we'll see if if we're right for each other. So I did and, and uh, ended up coming to Murray State and to, to work as an associate athletic director. And uh, what, what I was intrigued about was Alan's leadership. I thought he was going to be a really, really strong leader. Um, but he said, look, we're basically going to, over the course of a short period of time, um, we're going we're to blow this thing up and start over. You know, we have some changes in direction we need to go, and uh, you're going to be my first hire if you choose to come. And you don't know what you're good at yet in administration. And if you if you stay there at Alabama, you'll be successful in uh, development and fundraising, and you know you'll you, you'll you'll sell more two hundred and fifty dollar bricks than anybody. But in 10, 15 years, you're still going to be selling $250 bricks. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works at that level. And he was 100% right. Um, If you'll come here, I'll give you the green light and the openness to do anything you want to get involved with. Here will be your day-to-day duties uh, on the external operations side, marketing and, and fundraising and sales and things like that. But Anything you see you want to get involved with, get involved with it, and let's try to set a course for your path at administration and see what you're good at. Uh, I'm not going to put you into a hole and only teach you one thing. And it was the best decision I made uh, of starting a career in something that I didn't have any knowledge on necessarily. And so I came back and worked for Allen for three years. and Man, we did have a lot of work, a lot of changes uh, most of them worked. Some of them did not. Um, but the experience that that gave me to to look at all facets of administration has really been benefic- beneficial to me. The last uh, I left there in 08 and mm-hmm. uh, 
but those three years were invaluable to me just on what I was exposed to and mm-hmm. what he allowed me to get involved in. Yeah. And I, well, I know we ran into each other at the reunion of the, uh, I guess, our 91 OVC baseball champions. That's what I ran into. I hadn't seen you in years mm-hmm. and uh, ran into you at that reunion, and you that you were in that capacity. So that's, that's pretty cool. So uh, so you left Murray. Talk to us about what did you do after that? Well, we left Murray. I, I spent one year out of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually helped manage a Morgan Stanley uh, investment banking office in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and realized that folks in that industry are – I'm so thankful we have them, but it took me just a few months to realize I'm not one of them. <laughs> and uh, so uh, – I fulfilled my obligation of a year there, my year in purgatory, mm-hmm. and uh, had an opportunity then to get back involved in college athletics at UAB in Birmingham. Worked there as associate athletic director for development, uh, and you know that's to raise money at UAB for athletics is tough. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think anyone who gets into athletic development should have to do that for a year to realize you got to work at it. It's not easy. Because uh, that state is really just so focused on Bama and Auburn, yeah, right? It is. And, and you know, did you in your uh, capacity there? Did you foresee them killing the football program? It was always rumored, um, and it was not very well supported. Um, and, and that's that's what made the you know you continue learning and everything every day. And uh, but that year raising money for UAB athletics. Uh, taught me you know taught me that the donor's only going to give to what the donor wants to mm-hmm. uh it's their decision all you can do is put out options and thoughts and opportunities for them um but they they've always had the complex that the alabama board of trustees wanted to kill their football program uh, and right wrong or indifferent that's what they believed uh, and so you know not long after i went to wichita state that came to fruition and uh the president down there uh in Birmingham, made a decision to discontinue football, and um, then the the folks that UAB needs to step up, uh, they stepped up in a big way and, yeah. and brought it back. So yeah. uh, I'm inter- I'm interested to watch this over the next ten years because it's you can't judge a decision like that over a year or two. Right. You have to look at long term and and what the long term residuals are on it. So yeah. that's going to be an interesting case study. Yeah, it really is. Well, you know, I know it had some ramifications with Kentucky uh, because Kentucky had UAB scheduled yeah. and then had to find another game, and and so uh, and I think Kentucky's having to travel to Southern Miss uh, to play. Do to that, uh, yeah, that situation, yeah. So you moved on to Wichita. Tell us about your time at Wichita. You know, I, I have a little Wichita connection. Uh, I actually got to play against Wichita State in baseball the year after they won the national title, which I believe they won in eighty nine. Yep, they won eighty nine. Yeah, I played them in ninety as a freshman. Got to go out there, and uh, and so that's my only my only uh, connection that I ever had with Wichita State. But uh, I just remember. Uh, and it, I'm sure it's changed now, but uh, I remember they had an AstroTurf infield and a grass outfield. Has that changed? It has. It's okay. all field turf now. The okay. only the only dirt that we have on the field now is the pitcher's mound. Okay. And uh, I, I think the best job in the department is the groundskeeper at X Stadium because, you know, he has a bullpen and a, and a uh, – 
pitcher's mound to take care of. Yeah. And uh, we give him a hard time. About that. He does a lot more than that, but yeah. but we do give him a hard time about that. But uh, I went to Wichita State in 2010, August of 2010, as a uh, senior associate athletic director and uh, uh, went out there and, and headed up the external portion of the department, which, again, sales, fundraising, tickets, media relations, uh, and then quickly was named the sport oversight for men's basketball. And that was, with my experience there on the basketball side of things, it kind of just made sense. And, uh, boy, what a run it's been on. My timing was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that program has been poised for a run and uh, have a, what I think is – one of the best coaches in the country yeah. uh, at the helm of our men's basketball program. And Greg Marshall, Greg Greg Marshall. Yeah. And uh, just in, in, in 2011, we, so that first year, we won the NIT. 2012, we won the first conference championship in, I think, 18 or 20 years, NCAA tournament. Third year, we went to the Final Four. Fourth year, we went 35-1 and, and, and lost to a – one of the finest college basketball games that's ever been played, and you know, and, and you know, really, and and as a Kentucky fan, um, you know, growing up, and of course, everybody that we grew up with is Kentucky fans. You know, really, Wichita got a raw deal getting put in with Kentucky that early in the tournament. That that game was a regional final game. Yeah, really. it was. Should have been. It, it was, and you know, I can go back and forth on things like that. I think the. Selection committee has a very difficult job. Mm-hmm. It's there's no way you can get it right, mm-hmm. uh, but there are a number of ways that you can look at the bracket when it comes out and you say, "Boy, they got this wrong." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Kentucky ends up, I think, going to the Final Four yeah, that year. Yeah, sure do. And uh, but it was it's it's odd because our our program probably gained more respect nationally as a result of two losses. Yeah. Uh, during this last six-year run, that was our loss to Louisville in the Final Four, and then our loss to Kentucky that next year um, in the one-nine game, I believe it was yeah. one-eight or one-nine game in St. Louis. Um, but I think it validated on a national scene what that program had been building and accomplishing. And uh, you know, now we've went to five straight NCAA tournaments, and oh, I think three three straight sweet 16s or something of the like or yeah. uh, and uh, it's it's been fun to be a part of it Which, and you know just to just to talk about that i mean you're talking about a program really before this run that you guys have had really was probably best known as being the from a basketball standpoint as being the alma mater of Xavier McDaniel right oh yeah we had to, we we had some good some good ones back then uh uh, Xavier was is a wonderful person. First of all, very nice guy. Uh, but we had uh, Antoine Carr and Cliff Levingston in the yeah. early '80s, and the bookends, as they're known. And uh, we had some just really, really good, good teams during during the '80s. And then, and that's why we spent a lot of the '90s on probation. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, that just happened to come with that period of college basketball in Wichita. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, We've always had a good program, and the timing has been right and, and the right people in place, the right coach in place. Uh, Greg's been there now. This will be his 10th year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really has moved this program forward. And, 
and athletic administration is is odd because when you and I didn't help hire Greg, he was there before I got there, but. When you hire a head coach, then you flip roles, and the administration almost begins to start working for them mm-hmm. and trying to find a way to help them be as successful as they can. You hope you've identified the right person, and then you've given them that program uh, to put their stamp on. And uh, you try everything you can as an administration to support them uh, to see if it works. And there's no guarantees. There's, you know, we saw that with Billy Gillespie at Kentucky. Yeah. You know, and people, you know, people still to this day. Uh, you know, say how how bad of a hire that was. It wasn't a bad hire. It was the right hire. It's the hire that was everyone that that sits in administrative chairs would have made the same hire, but it didn't work. Yeah, and it ended up just not being a good fit. Not the, not the right fit, and you don't know that until you get somebody in there and work with them. And uh, some people can handle the spotlight and the pressure of that, and some people can't. But you yeah. don't know that. that uh, you know, I, I'm using Billy as a. Um, as an example, but he was the right hire. It didn't work. And you have to, at that point as administration, you have to swallow your pride and say, hey, this isn't working. We're going a different direction and try it again. Yeah, and, you, you know, you got to give Barnhart credit for realizing that quickly and moving, you know, and, and instead of letting it draw on and draw out, you know. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Because if you go back to the uh, – you know, Kentucky Sports Radio had just started about that time frame, uh, the internet or the uh, website, and so it was universally hailed as a great hire Absolutely. by everyone. You know, so and that's got to be one of the toughest things in sports administration, right? Is you hire your guy and then you realize, man, this is not the right fit, right? Yep, it is, and and, and there's no guarantees, and uh, you can't get emotional. You have to remove all emotion from decision making, mm-hmm. uh, and deal with the facts, and deal with what's real, um, and understand it's just as important to correct the mistake, if not more so important than to to make the right hire. You know, in, in most cases, uh, the general public can identify who the who the person is that deserves the next shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes time to correct the mistake. Uh, the general public, they don't want to be the one standing up there behind a microphone explaining it to everyone. Yeah, so that's right. You have to have a lot of respect for the people that uh, are, are willing to uh, swallow that pride a little bit and say, hey, I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Now let's, let's go try again. You know, in, in talking about leadership and, and those things, you know, you've been around very successful programs, very successful coaches. Is there anyone that stands out to you as far as as having the recipe for success, and maybe maybe talk to the things you've learned from those people? How do you uh, believe that a coach uh, becomes a leader, and what are the things he shows? Talk about some of those things that you see in common, maybe with coaches who are winners. Well, we, Coach Marshall uh, on his dry race board today. Uh, it's been there for several years, but. He's kind of a mad scientist of sort and writes everything on a board and uh, looks a little bit like Beautiful Mind, uh, that little barn on a Beautiful Mind. But uh, there's something that really sticks out to me. It's a a word equation uh, on his board that says high expectation over high accountability equals high achievement. And... He has a expectation for anyone who touches him pro- his program, starting with himself, 
he has a high expectation of uh, of what they should put toward the program. He holds everyone in the organization to a high accountability. Uh, nothing's too small. Nothing's too large. If you walk through our department at any point, you may see uh, Greg Marshall sitting in the bullpen with a bunch of volunteer students and graduate assistants in the marketing office brainstorming, just talking. Where are you from? Hey, I, I saw a high school coach there. What made him successful? You know, uh, what do you want to be when you when you go into a career? Um, you'll also see Greg walking down the hallway. We have carpeted hallway, uh, and you'll see him on his knees getting a staple out of the carpet. Really? Because uh. he thinks if someone else sees that, it's going to be a poor reflection on the entire organization. Wow. Uh, and so when you have someone that has a high expectation and a high accountability and they include themselves in both of those, then you have an op- you have the chance then to equal high achievement. If you don't have those two things, expectation and accountability, you know you're not going to achieve high. There's no guarantee you, you will have high achievement with them, but you know you won't achieve high without them. Right. Uh, so uh, – that's that's something I've really learned from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when 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 we were at Alabama, we went in in the late '90s, and it's almost apathetic. Uh, the 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 fans had really become disinterested in Alabama basketball. Well, and, and you know, let me interject. Alabama sports is football year round, right? It's it it's almost like Kentucky basketball. Yeah, the, the, I always I always equate. Uh, Kentucky basketball is Alabama football to those particular states. But yeah, yeah, go on. Very similar. Um, but as we delved in and started researching the history of Alabama basketball, we realized it's the second winningest program in the SEC. Um, and so under Coach Godfrey's leadership, we decided, you know, these people might care. Let's give them something to care about. And, let's, and I can remember – uh, getting golf carts from uh, the local university golf course on home football weekends and uh, ordering, you know, a few thousand of those mini basketballs. So we put our home schedule on, and uh, coach would get in the passenger seat, and I'd get in the driver's seat, and we'd drive around all the tailgates and downtown, and wherever we saw anybody gathered, we'd stop, and he'd autograph those basketballs and hand them out and have conversations with people from all ends of the state that were there for the weekend and uh and we just started selling alabama basketball guerrilla marketing guerrilla right. marketing we you know uh we 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 may not we may not be able to turn this thing with you but we know we can't without you yeah. and so we tried to develop an interest there and it caught for a while and uh i can remember when the Oh one, oh two, oh three seasons that uh, you know playing in front of many, many sellouts, and we went to the point where we weren't just selling out for Kentucky; we were selling out for people that wanted to see the Crimson Tide play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had to include the public and, and market ourselves and let them know why it was important uh, for us to have a successful program. So I learned an aspect of marketing from from Mark and and the uh, commitment to detail and work and accountability from from Greg Marshall and. Uh, you know, I think you can implement those into anything you do, mm-hmm. not just sports. Yeah, uh, I think those same qualities and same principles apply uh, in any business. Well, and, and you know, uh, we reached out to you 
pretty good while ago. Um, and, of course, with you living in Wichita, um, you know, we could do a phone interview, but we know with your roots here in Marshall County, we want to get you in person. And, man, this really worked out great. So, uh, Darren, we want to uh, just want to thank you for doing the podcast and uh and you know taking the time out to share some things with us and uh, and we'll uh look forward to hearing it absolutely thank you for including me and uh, uh anytime i get back into this part of the country it always is nostalgic and fun and uh now this will be one of those memories <laughs> thanks you know, and this is a, the Legend podcast, but one of the things we really focus on is leadership. And you were sharing with us offline uh, a philosophy of leadership. Go, go ahead and share that with us right now. Well, I think it's accepting your place um, in a position or an organization for a period of time. Uh, and any leader, I believe, is, is put into a position – for a finite period of time. It's going to have a beginning date and it's going to have an ending date. So when we hear people, and a lot of times we're very guilty of it in athletics, uh, talk about a coach uh, implementing their program. Uh, where I wish we would say they're implementing their plan because it's not their program. Um, the, the program is bigger than any coach. Uh, the program is bigger than any leader. Um, and especially when you deal with high schools and you deal with colleges. Um, there have been so many come before you, uh, and that is students, alums, um, sure, coaches, athletes, administrators. There, there have been so many people that have came before you that have set the stage for what you were there to inherit for a period of time. And to call that your program, I think, is missing the point. You've been asked to implement your plan to try to enhance that program uh, for a period of time. And who knows what that period of time is? Some are short, some are long. Um, but we try to, anytime we have a gathering of a bunch of alums uh, or a bunch of boosters, we try to instill from the pulpit of, our, of the microphone we're speaking in that this is their program we're here to lead it and implement our plan and hopefully it'll move the program forward but uh, the program are to those that have been committed to it long term in a lot of cases coaches and administrators we're hired guns and we're coming in to try to put our stamp on it put our flavor on it uh, i mentioned to uh, shane and you earlier it's we're here to put our accent on the language we're not here to change the language um and hopefully that will move the program forward. Um, oftentimes it does. There are times where it doesn't, and that's where you have to make difficult decisions and changes. But uh, from a leadership perspective, I think a leader recognizes their place in the organization and uh, recognizes that they're there holistically to move it forward, mm -hmm. uh, not, to, not to change it to their beliefs necessarily, yeah. uh, but to, to, put their, to put their stamp and to put their – uh, their adjectives on the subject you know and and as many people as we've talked to that's a very unique perspective we we haven't had it put that way before and i'm really glad you shared it with us so let me ask you this question this is something we ask folks a lot do you believe leaders are born or is it a learned well i think learned? i think there's certain qualities within a leader that are inherent uh, but i've never found a leader that's not willing to learn every day 
Learn something new every day. Now, some of them, it takes longer for them to accept it than others. Um, but I do think there are leadership qualities that people are, are born with uh, and how they're molded as a, as a young person. Um, but then the learning aspects, and uh, sometimes they don't act like it and sometimes they don't come across it, but a true leader knows they don't have every answer. They draw on others from their past experiences or current uh, current experiences to uh, to assist in um, their message, and sometimes it you know leaders and, and coaches. We're spending a lot of time talking about sports on this. Uh, are looked at as arrogant and conceited, and you know what? A lot of times they have to be. They have to be. Um, I disagree with a lot of things that head coaches do and say. But when you are a institution and you've made a financial investment into these individuals, you've done it for a purpose. Uh, and you have to allow them the free reign to go out and uh, and represent you and, and, and put their stamp. You're believing in their stamp. You're believing in their, uh, you know, their, their – ability to to put their sway on things yeah. and uh, sometimes it doesn't come off as as soft and as genuine and as as uh, feel good as we would all want it to but uh, in a lot of cases it can't yeah well and and you know I think too one thing one mistake people make who follow ball teams and coaches is they've never walked in that coach's shoes and and so it's hard to imagine how you would be if you were thrust into that position with the expectation you got to win ball games right yeah. and and you know that's a that's a you know you want to be a great person and you should be a great person but Sometimes the means to get to that win, like you said, is not the most touchy-feely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Darren, could you have ever imagined, you know, when you were playing ball at Benton in, at the ball fields that you would ever have gotten to the position that you're in right now? Was it? I mean, was this a, a career trajectory that you ever envisioned? Never. Um, you know, growing up in western Kentucky – in the time period that that we grew up, it's you know it's different than it is now. Um, you didn't follow, we didn't follow Kentucky, we didn't follow Louisville. I mean, we paid attention to them a little bit, uh, but you you followed the Marshals, uh, you know, and you followed high school sports. They're a big deal here, mm-hmm. uh, especially during that time. So, uh, I believe the second or third college basketball game I ever saw in person. I sat on the bench. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it was almost like Hoosiers when the Marshals were playing out of town. I mean, last one out, turn the lights off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I grew up going to, uh, going to watch the Lady Marshals with my dad. That was during the time where they were the show. Yeah. Uh, and great players, you know, Mary Taylor and Carol Parker and Shauna Smith. And uh, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Mitzi Birdsong and, you know, uh, Lisa Jarrett. I mean, it, the list goes on and on, but my first exposure to sports was out in my yard and my dad taking my brother and I to go watch the Lady Marshals and give my mom the night off. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. And, and, and you know, and that was what you did in this area. That's what you did. And it is so, I mean, my career path has been so unexpected 
I don't hesitate at all to say I don't feel like what I do is work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very fortunate, uh, have been very fortunate. Now, I've put a lot of effort and energy into it and uh, to get to this point, and, and part of that is uh, making decisions to leave, uh, to leave this area and leave other areas that could have been pretty comfortable. Uh, but I really enjoy college athletics. I really enjoy trying to help other people succeed. Um, you know, I have a, a story of a, a young man that will remain nameless, but when, when we got him, we realized very quickly he read at a second grade level, mm-hmm. freshman college and read at a second grade level. And we had to make a decision to put basketball on the back burner. That wasn't, that wasn't important anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we committed to this kid to try to change his family tree. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time working with him, and a lot of time getting him professional assistance. Uh, he became um, he became a uh, five semester dean's list kid. Graduated from the University of Alabama on time. Uh, still plays professionally. Wow! Uh, but once we got him, uh, we had to reverse our role. We had to we had to look out for his life first and then his athletic career second and uh, a lot of times unfortunately we look at we look at it the other way the other way yeah uh, so to be able to impact some kids lives like that and now uh, from an administrator's perspective where i don't have 15 kids i care about i have 236 Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, when when people ask what do you do in the off season and they look at the season as basketball season and in wichita they look at it as basketball and baseball season yeah what do you do in the off season i said well i always say i have i have 236 teenagers to 24 year olds Mm -hmm. and i don't know how old your kids are but i don't think there is an off season when you have Mm -hmm. 230 some kids that you're responsible for and their actions and their decisions yeah and so uh well you know and and you're you're talking about that the oversight you have and you know a a lot of people around here uh college baseball may not be as big as it is maybe in the deep south with a lot of the sec schools but you know let's talk about you're at a school where which is very unusual where the baseball program is a high uh profile program right very high Uh, won a national championship in 1989 six or seven college world series appearances Mm -hmm. Um, we have more academic All-Americans in baseball than any program in the country. Notre Dame is second. Um, and we're rebuilding that program. Right. We, we uh, coming off of a legendary career out there, one of, the, one of, if not the best, college coaches in the history of the game, Gene Stevenson, built that program, resurrected it in 1978. Yeah. Um, and so now we're at a period where we've been rebuilding it and, really looking to turn a corner this spring and uh, hoping that we can get that program back operating at a level that we all know it can and expect it to. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh yeah. That, you know, and I, and of course I got to play against coach Stevenson. Uh, well, actually I got to sit the bench against coach Stevenson, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the year we played them, there were probably 10 major leaguers on that, on that squad. And, um, you know, I've, I've often told people the greatest team that I ever played against was, was a Missouri Valley 
uh, conference team, Wichita State. And uh, and then I start naming the names, and I'm like, hey, how many schools did you have you ever seen that had that many big leaguers on one team? And it was incredible. Or you've been listening to Dax My Hand, the legend. The DaxMyHand.com Legend Podcast is made possible through the generous support of its corporate sponsor, SJS Cat Incorporated, serving the Western Kentucky Southern Illinois area for 25 years. SJSCAD.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, which why would you be listening to the legend? Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend Podcast. Share it with your friends, financially supporting the podcast. DaxMyHand.com website. Click on the support button. Become an active member of the Dax My Hand Legend Podcast. Thanks for listening to Dax My Hand, the legend.